here are some memories of motherhood that we don't hear about so much. Dropping my baby, <laughs> screaming at my baby, leaving my baby in a car seat and walking outside and actually lighting a cigarette <laughs> um, to cope. Becca is by far not the only mother who has done this stuff or felt this way. The first few weeks of his life and I had failed him continuously. Welcome to Shh, Don't Tell, stories of parenting usually hidden or glossed over. The thing with Becca is she planned. She worked for years to make her life as a parent very different from her life as a child. We just grew up very, very poor. In 1986, we squatted for a year in a house with four four men and another woman, and one of them was my mom's boyfriend. We had caseworkers at different times. CPS was always a risk. It was always a threat. It was always a fear. I mean, there were there were good times, like living with my grandparents in Southern Oregon, but there were a lot of bad times. I spent my childhood comparing my life to my friends. You know, I'd walk into a friend's house and I would see, you know, how normal things looked. You know, I'd come home and I'd look at my mom's room and there was a mattress on the floor and, you know, we maybe moved and we'd lose toys. We would put stuff in storage and couldn't pay the storage unit rent and we'd lose all, all of our things. I don't think we paid for school pictures, but maybe once or twice. And I would go to a friend's house and I'd see school pictures on the wall from every year. You know, people just had their shit together and we just didn't have our shit together. And I wanted that. So that informed how I wanted to parent. And that informed how I chose to plan my family. So I wanted to buy a house. Then we got married. I just had systems and beliefs that I had to hit certain benchmarks to be worthy of having a family. I went to work for this property management company and then I went to work for this default servicing company. This is 2008 now. I finally got pregnant. Two weeks later, the economy tanked. There were huge peering downs, so I lost about 20% of my income and developed a perinatal mood disorder. I lost, in my mind, all financial security, and I just spiraled. And so I started to think that I had made the worst decision of my life to have children. I looked for options, considered options to get out of my family planning because I didn't want to be a parent on welfare and I didn't want to be homeless. None of that was real. <laughs> None of that was possible. Um, my husband's family is very supportive. Um, if we were ever in a financial crisis, we have, you know, our primary alternative contingent and emergency plans in place. But I felt like we were going straight to emergency. And I just didn't see a likelihood of that 
not including some kind of shame for needing help. So I just was incredibly depressed and incredibly anxious and felt so screwed over and I felt like I'd done everything right and I still failed. Then when my son was born, you know, I was in labor for 32 hours at home and then I went to the hospital and I napped and I woke up and I pushed for 36 minutes and had a baby and he was perfect. And then two hours later, he was taken to the NICU because his breathing was labored. So you are sitting on a hard chair next to your baby's bassinet and he's hooked up to all these monitors and you're looking around and I did what I always did. I compared my baby's vitals on the screen to every other screen in the room and babies were going home with vitals that were not as strong as my baby and my baby was kept and nobody looked at you and nobody talked to you and they just talked to each other. I wasn't consulted. Everything happened to him, to me and I had Bell's palsy so I looked like a freak. (laughs) It attacked my facial nerve and so I lost full function of the right side of my face. I couldn't enunciate very well. I couldn't even say my baby's name. I couldn't sing to him. I thought he wouldn't know my voice. I worried that he would be damaged because he couldn't see me smile. And I, um, I was afraid they would take my baby away if I was difficult. And I just felt like I failed right out of the gate because I was in a healthcare system that didn't understand why I chose home birth. It was just really important to me to not have men making decisions about my body, which is why I didn't want to be in the hospital. Flashbacks the first two years of my son's life every time I drove home from work because the hospital was on my way home from work. The flashbacks created terrible, terrible uh, moments. And so I just remember having a fussy baby that I couldn't console. And I remember screaming at him, laying him on the bed and screaming, what the fuck do you want from me? Just shut up. Just stop crying. What the fuck do you want from me? And my baby shook in fear. My new baby shook in fear. And I just was devastated. I didn't recognize myself as a human. Who the fuck yells at a baby? (laughs) And like, I can laugh now because he just, you know, he's attached to me like glue. I mean, he's amazing and but you know like all of these things that happened and then like now he's got ADHD and so I'm like well it's totally my fault I have a kid with ADHD because I had postpartum depression and anxiety and I'm a head case and 
my mom's a head case. And, like, you just can't help but look at those things and wonder. Like, you just wonder if you made the right choice to have kids. Like, what are you what are you forcing on your own children? You know? And I know, I know, like, I made the right choice to have kids. But, like, you as a mother, you go, wow, if I hadn't screamed at my baby, <laughs> would he have the issues that he has now? If I hadn't dropped him coming down the stairs in the middle of the night, slipping, and, like, I dropped my baby. I didn't drop him far. I dropped him less than a foot, but I dropped my baby in the middle of the night, sleep deprived, coming down the stairs. Who drops their baby? You beat yourself up. You just really do. And that is where I spent the bulk of my first two years of motherhood is um, looking at every possible flaw. All of these things, I mean, they're just stories now. Having an opportunity to find a therapist, I don't relive them. They're stories, they're part of me, they're part of my life, and they've informed how I wanted to parent, and that's a good thing. And they've also informed my ability and desire to be compassionate for people who go through those things. Between my first and my second, I had an opportunity to have, you know, a much more clear context of what parenting really looks like. You know, and I didn't have all of this idealism and all of these, you know, beautiful books about how beautiful childbirth and pregnancy and motherhood and parenting were supposed to be. Because it's not magical. It's really, really fucking messy. It's ugly. It's sad. It's never easy. And that's normal. And nobody says it. Thanks, Becca, for saying it out loud. Shh, Don't Tell Stories was born in a dark room with a crying baby. We search for stories that admit the secret and horrible parts of parenting, and we share them so all of us who've been there know we're not alone. Tell us what you think. Tell us your story. Shh, don't tell stories at gmail.com. That's shh with two H's and don't with no apostrophe. Shh, don't tell is created by Middle and Grace Productions with special partner Baby Blues Connection. Many thanks to Jenny Conley for her awesome compositions, including our theme music, and to Colin Oldham for his wonderful music creation and scoring. Don't let parenting kill you. Talk and listen. Listen.